We've been walking through Scripture in a really unique way. Uh, I have personally been just incredibly excited about this season of our church. The word of God's increasing our capacity, I think is a very strategic word for us, very instrumental word in this season of the church. And what, uh, what the Lord began to stir in our hearts as a leadership team, as an eldership structure, as a staff uh, was just the concept and idea of Jesus revealed in Scripture. He's revealed in amazing and wonderful ways. So I want to talk you through some of those ideas today. If you've not already done so, please pass down the book so everybody can take out a note card and um, <clears throat> kind of track the, the progression along the way here. Ultimately, uh, we've started in the book of Genesis. Where is Jesus in the book of Genesis? And then we went to the book of Exodus. Where is Jesus in the book of Exodus? In the book of John, Jesus says, the scriptures speak of me. Well, the New Testament had not yet been written. So obviously, he's talking about the Old Testament scripture, and all of the Old Testament scripture speaks of Christ. Last week, um, that, was, that was probably my favorite insight out of Psalms so far, uh, as we saw Jesus revealed in such a uh, unique way. And when we understand who Jesus is, it really helps define who we are. And so looking at that uh, last week, seeing if you didn't, if you weren't here, it, it may be the most defining uh, message to help you as a believer that we've embraced this year. So I encourage you to go online to destinychristian.com and uh, give that a, a watch or a listen. So what we've discovered in this progression is there, there are themes. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of shocked, to be honest with you. I'm seeing the Bible from a new perspective, from another perspective. And I've just kind of thought of the Bible as, you know, this book over all these thousands of years. And, of course, it does span thousands of years, but primarily the Old Testament centers around the exile and the Babylonian captivity and the, the rebuilding. And, and, I mean, I'm amazed at how all the prophets speak of this and all the preparation in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. And, again, we saw Jesus revealed in all those books. But so much of the Old Testament centers around this one era of time and, uh, and we'll see that even more clearly. But here we are now in the book of Proverbs, and what we've seen is these are the five wisdom books. These are commonly known as books of wisdom and poetry for theologians who are studying Scripture on that level. And uh, that's kind of what we're trying to engage in. So we've looked at Jesus in Job, Jesus in Psalms today, Jesus in Proverbs, and next week, Jesus in Ecclesiastes. So here's what we... Uh, have learned in this journey one very important phrase. It'll be your blank to write in to make sure we're all focusing in on this idea consistently. Biblically impoverished people live poorly constructed lives. Biblically impoverished people live poorly constructed lives. It is so vital that we learn what God reveals in His Word that is the instruction manual for life, and we embrace that and apply that and live by that, because biblically impoverished people live poorly constructed lives. Some people make such unwise decisions in their lives, they don't even need a devil to destroy them. And so what we want to do is apply wisdom today from a, a few different angles, and uh, each week I've started with why we need wisdom and so today, again, I want to start with a, a great idea for us to understand why do we really need to pursue wisdom? Why do we need the wisdom of God? And it was kind of interesting um, when I saw this clip. I've shown this. It's been a few years now. But this is maybe the best demonstration of how, have you heard the, the phrase, right? Hindsight is what? 2020. Meaning, 
Uh, there are some things that if I had known the adequate amount of information in advance, I would have never done. How many of you would have never dated that guy if you had known then what you know now? How many of you would have never dated that girl if you'd have known then what you know now? Uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. Given the right quality and quantity of information, there are some things you would never do. That's why we want to pursue wisdom. And this is a great demonstration of how the wrong information will lead you to do things that you would never ordinarily do. This is the venue they chose for their fake auditions for an advert for lip balm. We're hoping that we can use part of this in a national commercial, right? And this is a test on some lip balms that we have over here. Yeah. And these are our models who are going to help us, Roger and Matt. Okay. And we have uh, our own lip balm, and we have a leading brand. Okay. Would you have any problem kissing our models no. to test them? <laughs> you wouldn't? No. You think that was fine? That would be fine. Okay. Uh, so that this is uh, a blind test. I'm going to ask you to, to go ahead and put a, a blindfold okay. on. Okay, now can you see anything? No. Hold it so you can't even see down. Okay. It's completely blind now, yeah. right? Yes. Okay. Now what I'm going to be looking for in this test mm -hmm. is um, how it looks, okay? the texture, mm -hmm. right? and maybe if you can discern any flavor or not. Okay. Have you ever done a kissing test before? <laughs> I'm going to ask you to pucker up, pucker up big and lean in just a little bit, okay? Okay. All right. That's funny, but that's cruel. So I believe, given the right information, there are some things we would never do. Would you agree? Uh, that's why it is so important that we understand the role of the church in our lives as believers. Church, you know, I've uh, had these interesting interactions with people now in lots of different cultures of the world. And, um, and there's this prevailing thought that perhaps over the last couple of decades has started to kind of emerge, and it, it's this concept that says, you know, we're having church. If we have coffee, we're having church. If we have dinner, we're having church. You know, we don't really need the organized church to be the church. And the problem with that is Jesus is the one who defines the church. We don't get to define that. And I, I think I've probably made the statement before, and I'll make the statement again. Um, how many of you would agree, if this weren't God's idea, you would probably abandon it altogether? I mean, there's some frustration that comes with the church, uh, and, and I, I'm, we all can identify with that on lots of different levels, but here's the issue. You don't get to make that definition. The church is about relationship, fellowship. We see those things. It's about instruction of the Word. It's about correction. Isn't that interesting? It, so like gathering in a coffee shop, there's not an apostolic authority uh, 
group of people that are pursuing the voice of God to bring correction into our lives. And so there's something lacking there when we start looking at how Jesus defines the church. And I just want to make the point, we don't have the church all figured out. We've recently been talking about the fact that, like my daughters, I I have this folder. Anybody, any parents have this folder? Like you keep all the stuff, all the junk that nobody else is going to care about. And so I've got like Faith's first car. She drew her car and what she's going to have. This is going to be her first car, like a pink wagon, okay? And so these different things. And, and there's this one particular piece of paper, one of my girls, I don't remember which one, but they drew and, and it just looks pathetic, okay? It looks ridiculous. Uh, but I liked it so much, I've kept it. Isn't that interesting? Like I've kept it all these, these years. I've kept it. It's in a folder and every once in a while I'll take that folder out. It's called dad's special folder does anybody have one of these like nonsense stuff that over the course of time you accumulated uh you know when jackson's doing this stuff you guys need to to save these things how many of you wish you would have done more of that right and so you save these things, you pull it out and like everybody would look at that and they would say that's just nonsense i mean that's ridiculous a bunch of scribbly lines doesn't really make any sense whatsoever and i take it and i think it is so special so meaningful you know why it's so meaningful because i'm their father And because they did it for me. Listen, I believe our efforts to build church resemble those efforts. And it's kind of like, I don't know that we got that much of it all figured out, but if we keep our hearts right and we keep moving forward and keep looking to him, I believe he treasures those efforts as we walk this out together. And that's kind of where we are as a family, just trying to find our way, sort through, believe God for the wisdom to understand this. And so you're going to hear more uh, over the course of this next week. You'll get a letter. Next week, we're going to focus in on Ecclesiastes. And that particular Sunday, we're asking the church family to see the value of the church in the community. So, like, there are a lot of things we do in a lot of communities of the world, but uh, a lot of people don't realize the level of entrance we have in our local community with various leaders, the things we do, the programs. I've got thank you cards over in my office right now. Uh, We were able to give 75. I want you to celebrate the Lord for this. We gave 75 food baskets, turkeys with baskets full of food as a ministry expression in our community. Thank God. What a blessing it is to be able to do that. That was primarily led and driven by our student council of Destiny Christian School. I've received some thank you letters over there from people, and I was reading them this morning, and they're like, you have no idea how much this impacted my life. And, it, and they're talking about a, a, a community leadership development expression that really isn't even destiny, but destiny leaders are Uh, very integrated and involved in that structure. And so young people have sent letters to our church saying, in our community, you made a difference in our life. I just want to say church is a really important part of our faith and our walk with the Lord. And so one week from today, what we're going to do is focus in on, and you know we're transitioning now, like today's the last day that we're going to pass buckets to receive our tithes. And so one week from today, we're going to ask everybody just to focus in on what it is to truly give in greater maturity and intentionally declaring God's kingdom is expanding. How many of you know God's called us to be the church? You can't go to church because you are the church, but we should gather as the church and lift up the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Father of the body of Christ that we might become more like him. Amen. That's what God's asking us to do. And so we do that as we walk in greater wisdom of his word, and that's our challenge today once again, and I come back to this pretty routinely. Turn the page. I want to ask you to get an old-fashioned Bible, start in the book of Genesis, and every day turn the page, write the date at the top. You've heard me say it probably a thousand times, no exaggeration. 
And even this week, I had two people say, I finally decided to start turning the page. So we'll just keep at it and hopefully get everybody on board over the journey of time. Uh, but it's such a healthy thing. So today, where is Jesus revealed in the book of Proverbs? How is he revealed? And it's an amazing uh, reality when we see this in Scripture. But Jesus is revealed or typified in wisdom. I mean, we see this in a lot of ways all throughout, like, again, you know, Joseph imprisoned, and, uh, and he's, he's basically condemned with two criminals. One lives and one dies, and he's raised up to public ministry at the age of 30. Jesus raised up to public ministry at the age of 30. This is Joseph, way back in the Old Testament, typifying Christ. Uh, Jesus would be condemned with two criminals. One lived and one died. One rejected uh, who Jesus was. One embraced who Jesus was. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, amazing typification uh, all throughout Scripture. Jesus is typified and revealed in the book of Proverbs through wisdom. The wisdom of God is Christ. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Like God, I mean, think about this. God gathered all the wisdom and breathed it into an expression of conversation that the Bible defines as the Word. Jesus is the Word. You know what you and I, our greatest problems are? Our greatest problems are idea problems. You may not understand that, but I'll guarantee it's true. My people perish for lack of what? Knowledge. The book of Hosea says God's people perish for lack of knowledge. You and I, our greatest problem are idea problems. Our true problems are truth problems. And if we can redefine what's going on within us, we can really awaken so much of an understanding of the purposes of God. Notice the parallel here of, of the beginning and who Christ was in the beginning and wisdom and how that happens out of Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22 and 23. The Lord formed me from the beginning. Before he created anything else, I was appointed in ages past at the very first before the earth began. Jesus, of course, uh, declares Alpha and Omega beginning and the end. Proverbs is this incredible book filled with all kinds of instructions about how to live an effective life on the earth. Think about this. This is what Proverbs is. Uh, and so, again, we, what we want you to be able to do is go online and find each of these books, and we talk history and context, and when you're studying your Bible, you'll get a better picture of what the, that particular book is all about. We evaluate that with Psalms. With Proverbs, ultimately what this is is a collection of all the ancient wisdom of Israel. Proverbs are these little quips and expressions of how to live life effectively on the earth. So, you know, every society has its own set of Proverbs, right? We have our Proverbs, uh, a penny saved, is a penny earned, right? Uh, look before you leap. Uh, easy come, easy go. I mean, we have all these little cultural proverbs uh, that, we, that we use. I like John Wayne's uh, proverb, life is hard. It's harder if you're stupid. And so, you know, different things that, that we would say in the course of time, uh, and, and they would become concepts and ideas out of our culture, tidbits of wisdom that we've embraced. And, and so when you start looking at the ancient wisdom of Israel, this is ultimately the power. Please hear this. This is the power to conquer foolishness. And believe me, foolishness wants to control and destroy your life. How I many you know foolishness will control and destroy your life? So we need the wisdom of God and, and ultimately the, the, the ability to conquer foolishness comes from the willingness to fear the Lord and embrace His ways. The ability to conquer foolishness. Who wants to, who wants to conquer foolishness? Let's take a quick, a quick poll. We want to conquer foolishness. I mean like our kids need us to conquer foolishness so that they are less foolish than we are. 
So we need to conquer foolishness, and the way you do that is you fear the Lord. We must fear the Lord. Like what God says about the church, we submit to, uh, because that's what God says. What God says about submission to each other in relationship and community, we submit to that because we fear the Lord. We don't go through our life and say, I'm just going to believe this, and I'm just going to believe that, and I'm in control of my own destiny. Let me just explain something. You're not. God is, and you need to stop with this nonsense of thinking you can be all independent. We need God, and we need each other, and we have to walk in relationship and community to get there. That's the plan of God. So we must fear the Lord and we must embrace His ways. Proverbs chapter 1 starts really well. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The beginning of the Lord is the fear of knowledge, but fools, so here we are, we see wisdom and we see foolishness. Guess what we're going to see throughout the book of Proverbs? The contrast and the comparison of wisdom and foolishness. And we see it right up front. So here's the thing, and I want you to see it. Uh, Fearing God and foolishness are contrasted in the women of Proverbs. How many of you ever heard somebody say anything about like the Proverbs 31 woman, right? Uh, What that's speaking of uh, is a woman of wisdom, a woman of excellence. And Proverbs 31 is a great text of Scripture that defines a wise woman. And so uh, ultimately, wisdom is personified in this woman in Proverbs. However, folly or the adulterous seductress is also personified by a resembling woman. Everybody say resembling. That's a really important term because many times we think we're functioning in wisdom when we're actually functioning in folly if we're not fearing the Lord and not surrendering ourselves to his ways because there's such a resemblance. Proverbs 5, verses 3 and 4, it says, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Isn't that interesting? The adulterous woman in the book of Proverbs is as sharp as a double-edged sword. Has anyone ever heard another analogy in Scripture that references a double-edged sword? Yeah, it's found in the book of Hebrews, and it says, For the word of God, or the wisdom of God, is as sharp as a double-edged, two-edged sword. So what we see is this incredible effort on Folly's part to resemble wisdom and counterfeit her to deceive us into following her ways. That's why we must be so discerning and must be so engaged on a level that really helps us to see and understand and discern the ways of God. So all these things are revealed in Scripture. As you read Proverbs, you'll see this even more clearly. Let me just point out a few of them. Proverbs chapter 8 speaks of wisdom. Notice the characteristics, okay? Does not wisdom call out and understanding lift up her voice? So wisdom is calling out to those that would come in. And it says, verse 2, on top of the heights. This is important. Where? On top of the height. Like the highest point of the highest point. On top of the heights Beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out. So wisdom is crying out, and she's at the very top of the pinnacle of the city. Now I want you to see the comparison in Proverbs chapter 9 as we look at the adulterous woman, that woman of folly that tries to counterfeit uh, the woman of wisdom. And it says in Proverbs 9, 13 to 17, the woman of folly is boisterous. She's also making noise and crying out. She's naive and she knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house, listen to this, on a seat by 
the high places. She's not on the highest places. She's by the high places. She's resembling, but she's not quite right. Verse 15, calling. So she's calling out. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So she's filled with lies. She's not the true expression of wisdom. She's the counterfeit expression that tries to get you confused so that you passionately move in the wrong direction, justifying it all the way as if it were the wisdom of God functioning in your life and in mine. That's exactly what the enemy wants to try and do in every one of us. Notice this. It says, uh, when, we, when you see these, you'll see both have a house, both are in high places of the city, both invite people into their homes, naive individuals into their homes who have no discernment will just follow the woman of folly and both offer refreshment. It's not easy to tell them apart. Have you figured this out? In your own life, have you ever been confused about these things? Like, you're totally devoted, this is right. I mean, I, this is particularly politically, you know, I'm, I'm starting to kind of tie in a little more political, especially as we get into 2016, the presidential race, and everybody's thinking all their thoughts and they're sending out all their expressions and so on. Listen, I, I, want, I want to just point something out to you. If it turns out that God hates all the same people you do, you have successfully created God in your own image. I'm just going to tell you, there are some people who think they're functioning in such wisdom and they're functioning in such folly and immaturity and a lack of discernment, and they're dividing, and, and division is not the plan of God. Somehow, somehow Jesus loves all the parties involved, like the, the, the Republicans, the Democrats, and the non-Republican, non-Democrat. You know, whatever the party may be, whatever the affiliation may be, we're going to be the new party, we're going to be the tea party, we're going to be not this, we're going to be... God, I, how many of you know Jesus loves them all? He loves them all, and if we're not careful, we just buy into this folly mindset that's so immature and so lacking the wisdom of God, and we allow the enemy to use us like puppets. The danger of anything counterfeit, next blank, is how unnoticeable it is due to a close resemblance. The danger of anything counterfeit is how, I mean, it's just amazing, but it is how unnoticeable it is due to a close resemblance. I watched... Uh, these uh, theologians who produce great amounts uh, of theology. You might have seen this before, Duck Dynasty. Incredible theology comes out of these guys. And, and this was a great analogy of counterfeit I thought you might enjoy today. That is called divine intervention. Oh, it's divine, all right? They're all over divine. Let's go and make some good jelly. I'll start shaking and y'all start gathering. Muscadine berries are the delicacies of the woods. Hey, 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 hey. It's raining them suckers. Boys. Raining heavenly fruit. This is the start of the process by which Kay makes her famous muscadine jelly. It's fantastic. Don't step on them. Don't eat them. What are you talking about, don't eat them? Girls, I, I, got a I want some jelly. Well, muscadine jelly. We could make some wine. That thing tastes terrible. Good mess. What are you doing? I picked one up off the ground and it tastes horrible. What are you talking Good about, Good mess. Where'd you pick it up at? Right over there. Uh-oh. <laughs> Did you pick it up out of this pile right here? <laughs> no, that's a coon turd. <laughs> no. Yeah. You just ate poops, huh? <laughs> Wild animals don't know the difference between the kitchen and the bathroom. 
That's a dungleberry. Uh, goodness. Si, you gotta get your eyes checked. <laughs> if you can't see, you're just playing Russian roulette with muscadine berries. Well, I go say it could be worse, but uh no, bad no, that's it. <laughs> that's the bottom of the barrel, Si. That was some funny crap there. <laughs> Boys, my stomach hurt the bad. <laughs> I'm going to the truck. Doc, you need some new glasses. You can't see. He gone. <laughs> There's a lot of theology in that little episode right there. Let me just re let me reiterate. The danger of anything counterfeit is how unnoticeable it is due to a close resemblance. Listen, uh, this is such an important statement. Just because you think something is right doesn't make it true. Some things are really logical, and if you can really nail them down logically, that doesn't necessarily make it right. I remember when I was in high school, so it's been a few years now, and uh, this, this couple had a conversation with another couple. They met each other, and like the daughter was dating the son. And this, these two adult couples with teenage daughters and, uh, and son who were in high school came to the logical conclusion, our kids want to get married, and they shouldn't get married if they're not sexually compatible. So what we're going to do, we're going to go in and buy them a hotel room so that they can experience sexual compatibility just to ensure that this is going to work before they really take the plunge to get married. I remember... Like, I was smoking pot, and that was dumb to me. You know, I mean, I, I was a dopehead, and that seemed ridiculous to me. That's before I knew Jesus, and even before I knew Jesus, I just thought, you're crazy. Like, parents would do that? Come on. Biblically impoverished people live poorly constructed lives. And just because it's logical doesn't make it right. Don't believe every thought that runs through your brain. The Bible says in Proverbs 8, verse 14 and 15, Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. Here's the thing, and very important we understand, like counsel. This is counsel, advice, input. Proverbs is all about this. Don't just get out there and just make decisions. You need to invite counsel, beginning with the counsel of God. Tracy and I have learned over the course of time, now 25 years of marriage. When we first got married, you know what we said? We're going to find somebody who has a great marriage, and we're going to ask them to mentor us. Let me just encourage you, find a mentoring couple for your life when you get married. Now, those of you that have been married for years and you've had a successful stretch of this, provide that for other young couples. When we uh, were having children, we said, you know what? We need mentoring parents. So we found parents that had children that were serving the Lord, interested in the things of God, and they loved their family. And Jim and Diana graciously accepted as we asked the Howards, will you be our mentoring couple as parents? We found somebody whose net worth was bigger than ours. Money. They had money. And they were Christians about their money. And they were generous. And we said, we want you to mentor us in our finances. And we never made major financial decisions without consulting those mentors. We never made major parenting decisions without consulting our mentors. We never made major marriage decisions. Listen, we have ministry mentors. We have personal spiritual development. I just want to know Jesus. Does anybody here just want to know Jesus? 
Like, we want to know Jesus, so who is your mentor in that area of your life? Who have you gone to and you have, have, have you said to them, you've got an incredible relationship with Christ. I want to be more like that. Can you help me? Can you answer questions for me? Can you give me some guidance and direction? Do you really want to go forward in the wisdom of God in your life? We need judgment and mentors and input and counsel. And the woman of wisdom, listen, the woman of wisdom loves this. The woman of folly hates this. The woman of wisdom says, I invite your counsel in my life because it helps me. But the adulterous women, the, the, the woman of folly says, do not judge me. If you're speaking to me, you're judging me. Come on, there's something about transparency that's really helpful. I, I know of a pastor who, over the course of many years of his ministry, unfortunately, very large church, big staff, uh, they, he had to walk several of his staff members through uh, moral failures. And he became kind of known as a person to go to who could help, you know, whenever that happened on the larger network of churches and so on. Like he was describing on a church staff retreat, one of the pastors found out that another one of the pastors had been with his wife and he like got a butcher knife out of the kitchen and they uh, barely kept him from going to prison for murder that day. And so, I mean, crazy, but this guy was just incredible with his ability to help navigate this and bring restoration in situations where there could be restoration. But he made a statement just describing and kind of coaching pastors how to cultivate this, and I've never forgotten it. He said, I have learned over the course of years that when somebody is guilty of sexual inappropriateness, when I come to them, their reaction is to say, what are you talking talking about. That is ridiculous. And he said, when people are not guilty, their response is, please tell me what somebody has seen that would give that indication. Help me see it more clearly because I don't ever want anybody to think that. Do you see those two perspectives? Wisdom says, come help me see it more clearly. Adultery and folly says, "I'm, I'm just fine on my own. I'll take you to the last portion of Scripture that reveals this perhaps more clearly than anything. Proverbs chapter 30. Everybody's doing okay today. You're looking good today. After Thanksgiving, feeling the weight of the turkey, all those things. Proverbs 30, verse 19 and 20. It says, there is a way of an eagle in the sky. Would you say that with me? Eagle in the sky. One, two, three. Eagle in the sky. The way of a snake on a rock. Say it. A snake on a rock. The way of a ship on the high seas. There we go. Ship on the high seas. Okay, so this is what we're looking at. Eagle in the sky, snake on a rock, ship on the ocean. And the way of a man with a maiden. Would you say that? Man with a maiden. That's an adulterous relationship. Verse 20, speaking of this woman of folly, this is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. Begins to justify and defend and and get you out of of the life. And this is not a woman thing. This is a folly thing. Men, women, folly. That's what we're talking about. It's just personified in the book of Proverbs. And this folly, this, this nonsense perspective says, I've got my rights and you did not invade my rights. And as soon as you invade my rights, I take that as judgment. I take that as mistrust. I take that on a negative level. And, and, and wisdom never sees it that way. But I want you did, you, did you notice, this is like four distinct analogies all tied together. What were they? 
the way of an eagle in the sky, snake on a rock, ship on the high sea, and a way of a man with a maiden or an adulterer relationship. You know what happens when a, an eagle flies in the sky? Leaves no trail. You know what happens when a snake slithers on a rock? It leaves no trail. You know what happens when a ship plows through and billows through the sea? It leaves no trail. You know what happens when a man commits adultery, covers up his trail? Don't you speak into my life. Don't you look into my life. Don't you have any involvement of conversation or counsel in my life. I'm covering my tracks. Guys, generically speaking, some people in this room are completely bound up in issues of pornography. Statistically speaking, it's a sad scenario. But what we need to learn to do is to be honest and open our lives to somebody that we trust and they can look in on our lives and they can help us be free. Because I just want to say, it's good to be free. Would you agree with me? It is good to be free. We want to be free. We want to be a people who are free. We celebrate the freedom of Christ that belongs to us. Come on, let's all celebrate the freedom of Christ that belongs to us. But if like an eagle in the sky and a snake on a rock and a ship in the sea, we keep deleting our history and hiding our tracks on our computers and our devices, we're lacking wisdom, we're embracing folly. I have both my wife, who's an attorney and thinks like an attorney, <laughs> Lord help us, and, and I have staff members who have my online social media passwords. You know what that means? I don't care if you look at my Facebook private messages. You know why? Because I want to pursue wisdom. I mean, do I have to allow that with our staff? No way. Do I have to allow that with my wife? Not really. But I want to pursue wisdom. I don't want to be caught and framed into folly. I want to open my life. You know what? I felt the Lord was saying today, He's increasing our capacity. I felt the Lord was saying today, He's about to clean out some stuff that has potentially hung us up for years. I felt the Lord saying today that there are places where we've been glitched and hung up and caught, that today is a day He wants to literally set us free. And like, it's hard to dream again when you have tried before, but the thing with God is He just says, get back up again. and. Let's just believe that this time is a step that breaks the enemy's stronghold and we choose the way of wisdom and we open our lives for others to speak into that we might truly walk in the wisdom of God and the freedom that Christ died so that you and I might have. Holy Spirit, I pray you deal with our hearts, our minds, our emotions, ultimately with our spirit. Grant us wisdom, Lord, and understanding, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Jesus' name. Just please, if you would, just keep your eyes closed for a moment. I want to ask very intimately, very personally, with nobody looking around, if you're here and you say, I am covering my tracks and I want God to set me free from that in my life. Just slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. Just being honest. Thank you. Just quickly. Just being honest. I've been covering my tracks. I'm not asking you what. Thank you. Yes, yes. I believe when we confess our sins to one another, pray for each other, we're healed. Some of us in this room need healing. Yes, sir. Thank you. 
You can put your hands down. Anybody else? I've been covering my tracks. I just need to deal with this. There's some stuff that needs to be dealt with. I'll guarantee your capacity increases when you're willing to surrender this to the Lord. Anybody else in this room? It's a really defining moment, I believe. I've been covering my tracks in some specific areas that I want God to set me free, liberate me, help me. Freedom really does belong to you. And Lord, we know that all this is not just positive coaching and life coaching. This is about spiritual disease of fallen humanity that begins first with a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, I just pray every one of us in this room, we just bring our hearts and our minds to a posture of acknowledging who you are. You're the Savior of the world. And each of us and all of us need you as our Savior to be Lord of our lives every single day. In the name of Jesus. Would everybody just pray this prayer of Lordship with me out loud? And if you've not prayed this before, let this just be a declaration of your accepting Christ and embracing God's plans for your life. Just everybody in the room, say it with me out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, you're the giver of life. You came, you lived, you died, but you are alive. You are who you say you are. You're the Savior of the world. And I need you as my Savior to rescue me from my sin and to become Lord of my life. Teach me the ways of wisdom, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name.